starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, go. Good afternoon. Welcome to another edition of The Right Fit. I'm your host, Daryl Jacobs. Join me every Friday at noon Eastern time with decision makers from collegiate athletics and professional sports. But joining me today is Executive Director for the Minority Opportunity Athletic Association. Please welcome to The Right Fit, Mr. Stan Johnson. Yeah, hello, Daryl. How you doing? <laughs> How you doing, man? I know. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're just coming off vacation. You sound a little tired, but thank you for taking the time. I thought it was very important to have you on. Um, to talk about some of the things that's basically um, happening with minorities and African-Americans as far as employment and collegiate athletics. But before we get started with the Q&A, talk about your journey into collegiate athletics. Oh, I took an orthodox <laughs> way into athletics because I played athletics in high school and in college. But uh, when I left college, I actually went to work for an uh, international harvesting company in the trucking industry. And uh, uh, got involved with them and then uh, spent about seven years there and then went to an organization called Inroads, which was a career development organization, which was really where my passion was. How do we help develop people in this process? So spent 11 years there, including uh, being the executive director of the uh, 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 Inroads here in Kansas City. And the NCA was here in Kansas City. And they uh, were looking for someone who could develop their internship programs, their scholarship programs, work with minorities and women's issues across the country. And so they hired me away from inroads to actually come to the NCAA. And I, I developed the NCAA's internship programs from start, uh, the scholarship programs and some of the leadership programs that we have today that they have today. And uh, uh, that was my journey into athletics and beginning uh, into athletics. Uh, in 2000, they left Kansas City and moved to Indianapolis. Well, I didn't go, started my own firm uh, because one of the areas that I was in charge of the, at the NCA was diversity, equity, inclusion. <laughs> and so developed that as a, as a model for me to work in that area. So I've been working for the past 22 years in uh, that area, that space of DEI, uh, and actually in the area of how do we develop people uh, and, and how do we help each other around this area of diversity. Along that same line, at that same time in 2000, that's when we founded the MOAA. Six of us got together at a NCAA convention and uh, MOA was founded at that time, one of the founding members of MOA. <laughs> Uh, the six. And so that was my journey to get there. I never was an athletics director. I never was a coach. And I coached Little League. And my wife told me I had to stop because I didn't have the patience for it. <laughs> I would yell at the kids. That's what it <laughs> So I got out of that. <laughs> but I, I did find my passion for working with people. And that's what I do now is work with people. How do I help people be successful in this process? Well, so what, what is MOA? We have a lot of people that watch 
this podcast and listen to this podcast and particularly coaches of color. Explain to them what MOA is in its purpose. MOA is the Minority Opportunities Athletic Association. And as I said, we were founded in 2000. At that time, there was an organization called the Black Coaches Association. And uh, they were primarily looking at how do they enhance opportunities for coaches in uh, uh, the field of athletics, especially in intercollegiate athletics. There was nothing for minority administrators in athletics. So we founded the uh, MOA to assist uh, minority administrators and, and to enhance opportunities for minorities in the administrative side, but also to advocate for increased participation at all levels, whether you're on the field or off the field, and, and to also promote uh, generating a sports culture that supports the value necessary to teach and learn respect for self and others. And so that was MOA's founding. Uh, we found we were founded with six of us and did 25 and about 25 individuals helped support the organization financially to get it started. Uh, and uh, we, we floundered along for about six years, five years, really, until we uh, struck a partnership with NACTA. And we we're one of the affiliates under the NACTA umbrella. Uh, we partnered with NACTA. Uh, we've now grown from that about 100, 150 members to have over 1,100 members uh, from all fields in athletics. And people have to understand that when we talk about the administration of athletics, we're not just talking about being in that upper senior level. A uh, academic advisor administers athletics. A coach administers athletics. So they're in the business of administering athletics. And that's what we're in the business of helping individuals be able to be successful. We see there's about five different levels in this field. Entry level people trying to get in the field. Those in one to five years of experience coming in. Those in the middle uh, level of their career. Uh, those that are in that senior associate or deputy level. And then those people who sit in the chair, <laughs> who are athletics directors. And all of those individuals have different needs in their career opportunities. So how do we assist them? And that's what MOA does is how do we assist them in being able to be successful wherever they are? We don't care what level they're on. Uh, how do we help them at that level? Your role as the ED executive director, talk about what that looks like and, and talk about why they thought you were the right fit because Sister Show is the right fit. I'm interested to hear your answer why you were selected. If you have done a fantastic job, I mean, when you talk of MOA, the first thing people say, Stan Johnson. So that speaks volumes for the job you have done and the work you have done with MOA. Well, it was very interesting. I got the role because, as I said, I was not leaving to go to Indianapolis with the NCAA. <laughs> and uh, the six individuals that were helped founded this organization were working in athletics. They said, you're not working. You're going to be the executive director. <laughs> that's really how it kind of happened. But I think they also saw that uh, my skills is in the area of developing. I've developed uh, nonprofit organizations uh, at different levels. Uh, I've worked in for-profit organizations. So my background in managing an organization was, was uh, there. And so I took that as an opportunity to be able to do something that would uh, uh, lead us into the future and, and work through. My role basically is to guide the organization. 
guide the organization not to do everything. Now, early on in my career, it was to do everything. But we have grown to a point now where our, our board of directors, we have 17 members of board that make up all different levels of uh, the NCA Division One, Two, and Three. Uh, we have NAIA members and NJCAA members. Uh, so we are across the board spectrum uh, from uh, different levels within the, within the, uh, athletics. And they primarily run the organization. The board sets a broad-based policy, and then the members uh, of the association uh, guide and direct us to which the things that they need. And so my job is to help uh, the board and, and the committees that we formed and all of the things that we do to be there to help that day-to-day -day, uh, operations and, and run those things day-to-day. Uh, -day. Talk a little bit about some of the job opportunities that come before you at MOA. You mentioned the relationship to teacher partnership with NACTA. Um, you know, talk about how those, those job opportunities, how are you approached in regards to the recruitment of minority administrators, and particularly I want coaches of color and anybody else that watches and listens to the show um, to hear this, because a lot of coaches are going to be transitioning, getting out of coaching, want to go into athletic administration, and we'll talk about how they can join MOA um, at the end of the program, but talk about how those opportunities are brought to you, how important it is that uh, MOA is in place now. Well, you know, I'm going to say back in the day, <laughs> that's the way it used to be. And a coach became an administrator and began to lead the organization. Uh, nowadays, you have to transition into that process. So it's a little bit different. Uh, it was automatic uh, that you were a coach and you coached the head basketball coach and the AD at the same time in some cases. But as athletics grew and became so uh, intercollegiate athletics became so powerful in this country, uh, those roles change. And now you have to really have a, a sense of knowledge about this field of management uh, and business. Uh, you know, athletics, we like to be on two sides of the fence. One, we're this academic side, educational side, and the other, we're this business side. And both of them are mixing together. So you have to have the abilities to work on both sides now. Can't just work on one side. And so when we're talking about job opportunities, there's so many different job opportunities. There is not a job that you can think of or a profession that you can think of that we don't typically use in athletics. We use counselors for students. We use academic advisors, educational people. We use marketing people. We use development directors for fundraising. We use sports information directors for communications. We use even technical people in this process for all of the technical stuff that we have to do now. Engineers to develop equipment, uh, develop uh, 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 playing surfaces and fields and, and, and arenas. Uh, there's not a field in sports that you can think of that we don't use managing those facilities. Of course, we use lawyers because we're always being sued for some reason. Or uh, we, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's just so many different fields that a person, a young person can come into. That is accounting, business managers, all of the things that we do. There's a lot of different job opportunities for people based on the skills that you have and, and based on the knowledge and background that you have of, of 
being able to maneuver this into this uh, field, uh, people are looking for talent. If you understand athletics, that's a plus for you. So a coach having to understand. And one of the things I say to coaches is that you manage. You have to manage budgets. You have to manage students. You have to manage uh, uh, schedules. You have to manage uh, and develop systems and, and, and things. You have those skills. And those are the things that you have to be able to sell that are transferable skills when you want to go into administration. The same things. We do the same things. We manage budgets. We manage people. We <laughs> do the same thing. And so I think what coaches have to look at, uh, if they are really looking at transitioning into the field, is what are my transferable skills? And that's what I have to be able to sell. Let's talk about the interview process. I mean, you know, things have changed so dramatically across the board, particularly in collegiate athletic, how things are being done. Search firms have become more prevalent now uh, as part of the interview process. That's sort of like the middleman, you would say, selecting um, the individuals. And how has that changed besides search firm? How has the process changed based on your experience with members of MOA, members of NACTA who may come back to you for advice or even going in after the interview is over to tell you a little bit about it? How has that changed over the last five years? Well, you know, Daryl, I don't think at it's at certain levels that we use search firms. It's in that higher echelon level that we use search firms. If we're looking for a head coach or we're looking for a um, athletics director, uh, in some cases, senior associates, that's where the search firms come into. And those other levels that I'm talking about, the deputies and the, the um, um, mid-level and, and, and one to five years, uh, that process has not changed. It's still the same process of getting in the door. A lot of that is based on who you know and who knows you <laughs> in this process. Uh, you know, I, I often say to, to people who are interested in coming into this field, uh, when we talk about networking, do they really understand what networking is? And networking is building this relationship with people across the country. It's not just having one person or going to a meeting, going to a coach's convention, passing out your card and and saying, I'm looking for a job. That's not it. People have to know who you are. And so the process by which people get into careers or get jobs is based on people knowing them and being able to speak on their behalf to get them in the door, to get them in the door for that interview. I often say to people there, there are three different levels in the interviewing process. There is suspects, prospects, and candidates. And I say this oftentimes, suspects, prospects, and candidates. Suspect, SPC, I like that, SPC. <laughs> the suspects are those 300 applicants that apply for the job. Everybody's a suspect. They think they can do this job. The prospects are when we whittle it down to those 15 that we're going to do interviews like this. And that's what's changed. Now we do these interviews over uh, uh, Zoom or uh, over one of the systems, uh, you know, Blue Jeans or whatever it is. We do those things, uh, Microsoft Teams. We, we do these interviews and, and then we begin to screen people out. The only people that can get the job are the candidates. 
the three that we bring in to, <laughs> to interview. That's the person who can get the job. How do I get myself to be a candidate is the process. How do I get from being a suspect to a prospect to a candidate? <laughs> and that's the way now people have to look at it uh, because you can be in a search with 15. You still not until you're brought in to interview on that <laughs> on that campus and that in-person interview. And with COVID now receding a little bit and we're back in person, they're beginning to bring people back in. Uh, now, during the COVID period, it was all done Zoom. <laughs> which, which is, if you're a candidate, it's easier, to, it's easier to do a Zoom interview because you can have everything taped around your room and be <laughs> yeah. able to have, have those cheat notes. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you well, look, but, hey, I look at paper all the time when, I, when I'm <laughs> on these calls. And that's a part of what you have to do uh, right. because you, you got those notes in front of you. But when you're in person and a candidate, now that's that's the real thing. I, I I tell people all the time that there's some things that you have to do uh, to get prepared for the interviewing process. One of them is make sure your resume is where it's supposed to be and and up to date, and and that that resume says a lot. I, I, about I, I, don't, I don't want you to give away too much because that's part of them do's and don'ts. I want you to, to <laughs> talk about. That. Let, yeah. let's, let's take a commercial break. Hold on to those for those do's and don'ts when we come back. We're going to take a All commercial right. break. You're watching The Right Fit here on Rising Coaching Network. The Right Fit Podcast is brought to you by Rising Coaches Search and Consulting. Tired of spending what seems like all of your time and budget filling coaching vacancies? Let Rising Coaches Search and Consulting handle your next coaching search. Our process is simple. We identify, vet, and recruit a talented and diverse group of professionals that fits your institution's profile, all for a low price that we guarantee will beat our competitions. Plus, all of your searches will be handled by former coaches, meaning we will get the best possible insight on all of your candidates, and you'll get the perspective that only a former coach could provide. For testimonials, a full client list, or more information, please visit risingcoaches.com. Welcome back to the Right Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Jacobs, and I'm with the executive director of MOA, the Minority Opportunity Athletic Association, Mr. Stan Johnson. But before I so rudely interrupt you, because I didn't want you to give away all the goodies, <laughs> let's talk about those do's and don'ts when interviewed, because I think you was getting ready to go in there. I really want you to touch upon that when you was talking about the resume. Give me at least two do's and two don'ts, and if you want to talk about that resume component, which I think is very important. Well, I, I was getting ready to say that for me, the resume is a snapshot of who you are. It's a picture. And that's the way I look at it. And it should have all the things there. If I was looking at this picture, that's who you are. The interview is a motion picture. That's when you get to put all of that into play. <laughs> so I'm looking at this, this snapshot and then I get this motion picture in person. And that's when I get to hear all of the things and all of the things that I need to to, to think about. Uh, there are a number of different things when I do workshops around this area for for individuals about career planning and development. Uh, but there's one thing I, I often talk about is is the three twelves. This is the basic three twelves, and, and what I say is how you look at a, 
when you walk into the room 12 feet away from that individual. So that individual is going to come out to greet you. And what do you look like? Are you ready? And in today's athletics world, a polo, this can be perfect. It could be what you you can wear. But most people would look at a tie and a shirt and, for, and women dressed and that's normal. The second 12 is how you look 12 inches away across that desk. And if that tie has a mustard stain on it or if uh, the fingernails are not polished well, <laughs> if you're not, oh, not matching. <laughs> yeah, not magic. <laughs> yeah. All of that, all of that becomes now a different story when I'm looking at you. And the third 12 is the first 12 things that come out of your mouth <laughs> can make or break you in that interview process. And so I think the key comes up, how well are you prepared for the interview? And what I go back to is that the things that you have put on that resume are the things that you should be able to talk about. Because when I leave this interview and he or she interviews three other people, two other people, when they come back, they're going to set those three resumes down in front of them and try to remember what did they talk about? Because <laughs> it's hard to take notes and write and do all of this stuff. But if I talked about all of these things and they're on my resume and I talked about them on my resume, then that's that's the perfect thing for me. Now, here's what I say about the resume. Does that resume talk about what you have done, but also what you have accomplished? The by outcomes. Doing? Those yeah, outcomes. The outcomes. Yeah. And so when I look at a resume, I want to see that, yes, I've been assistant athletics director, but as a part of being that assistant athletics director, I have move uh, the GPA level for my kids from 2.5 to 3.0. <laughs> Guess what? I want you to come and do that for me. <laughs> Here. Uh, so if I'm looking at that resume, are, so are you being able to sell the outcomes of what you've done? You can go in and talk about all the things that you've done, but, and I say this to people all the time, you can say that I, I, I ran a program that did X, Y, Z, but did you graduate those students? Did those students go on to be uh, successful? Are they giving back? Talk about the outcomes that you have. That's the do's that you want to do because people want, that's what I want to come. That's who I want to come work for me. The don'ts are talk, try to go in there and flub stuff <laughs> to, to, to shuck and jive, so to speak, your way through that interview. Uh, you know, answer the questions. If you don't know the question, don't, don't have a right answer for that question. So, you know, that that's an interesting question. I'll, I, I got to give some thought to that to get to that. But I can't answer it. Uh, I'm just thinking of giving you the right things for that answer. I don't try to shuck and jive through the process because I think people do that. People will know. Because here's the thing about uh, most of this interviewing process. They're bringing three people in. They've already picked up the phone and called people. Whether they call your um, people that you listed on your resume as references, they may not call them. They may call other people that they know who know about you. And they're going to ask their friends, what do you think about this person? What's their background uh, before they bring you in? And so they know a lot about you. <laughs> They've done their homework, too. 
And if they haven't done their homework, then, you know, that's that's not a good process for you. <laughs> they should know. Well, just maybe that's not maybe that's not the place you want to work as well. Yeah, yeah. You're interviewing them as well. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Let's talk about trends. Everything is trending, you know, particularly over the last three or so years. There's so many things happening, as you see in the NCA. You got the NIL, you got the portal. Um, you know, there's a lot of trends. Are there any trends you see on the horizon that someone should be abreast of? I think there's a couple of areas that we really need to be aware of. One, this whole student athlete development area because of NIL and some of the things that are taking place. Are our students prepared for those things? And so that's an area where people will have to focus uh, and where there's growing number of outside firms coming in to do that work uh, for for athletics. But internally, is someone watching that student and being able to help that student uh, maneuver this process? You know, a student now has got $100,000, and I just throw that out, uh, all of a sudden, uh, there's a lot of issues around that hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> as you well know. <laughs> First of all, that hundred thousand right. dollars is not worth a hundred thousand dollars. And, and it, not it, not it, only that, we're yeah. not even talking about the tax, uh, yeah, part of it that's not being implemented right now as well. Yeah, the tax ramifications, all of the things that they have to deal with, uh, and so those things are, are are important. So how do we help them maneuver, and what money does to individuals? We've all seen it in athletics and in the professional athletics at the level where money can uh, destroy an athlete. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And and that's true. One of the things I talked about is financial literacy. A lot of times, even before now, that's becoming the buzzword. But even before that, even with in in college athletics, financial literacy was not being preached within athletic departments. But now it has to be taught financial education, because with the NIL, they are businesses. These individual now, these student athletes are like their own business, their own brand. um, Yes. Well, so that's one of the trends. I think the other trend is the digital media trend, the social media trend. Uh, And the reason I say that is because uh, millennials and younger individuals don't watch television the way we used to watch television. Well, we didn't have much of a choice. <laughs> yeah, we had a choice. We, we, we sit in the living room with the one television and everybody sit around and watch. And we didn't get, if you missed the program, guess what? You missed it. That's you missed it. it. There was no DVR or anything <laughs> like that. No. So nowadays, they. I have a 21-year-old granddaughter uh, who's a senior at uh, uh, Tulane. And uh, she doesn't watch television. She watches everything on her computer or on her phone. And Absolutely. she'll sit there. And, and and so we now have to look at how do we promote athletics to that group? Because they are the rising group. There's more of them in the workforce now than it is of us. And so at my age and so the, 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 where, where I would sit down and watch television, they don't. They get their media on the go. And so I think a lot of what's going to have to happen is that we're going to have to look at the way. Uh, we promote sports to those individuals. And that's going to take a whole new field, the digital media field, the, the social media field. Uh, that's that's a trend. That's an area where you're seeing uh, athletics department having to hire digital media managers and and people in that area. Well, well <laughs> I.E. I, Learfield. 
you know, it's yeah. in that digital media space, you know, as yeah. well. And I think, you know, one of the trends I mentioned um, when I asked to do speaking engagements is understanding, you know, a trend is understanding Gen Z's, understanding millennials. You know, all this is these are trends because you have to understand their behavior, their buying pattern, what they look at, what they're into, you know, and it's one one business owner came to me and said, I never thought about that. I said, yes. You know, part of the new trends is understanding your audience um, yeah. and how to navigate them, um, you know, as well. Well, I, I say to people all the time, who who buys most of the sporting goods in this country? Women. They buy for the kids. They buy tennis shoes. They buy they buy most of the sporting goods in this country. They buy golf equipment. They buy they buy buy things. They they who are we marketing to? Right. <laughs> and so we have to understand that this younger group of individuals, they have a way of looking at it. But I, I also say, Daryl, it, it's how do we work together across the generations? Because, it, it, you know, we're still in charge, still baby boomers and, and Gen X and Gen Y are in charge of the process. And so when you look at those individuals and now millennials coming in with a different way of looking at the world, how do we work across the generations? Uh, and that's one of the things I think that if you can sell that, because you can't coach the way you used to coach. <laughs> oh, no <laughs> doubt about it. Coach, not no with the youngsters that are coming in today. You have to coach a totally different way. And coaching has been an apprenticeship. I was taught by another coach to coach how to coach. <laughs> <laughs> and so if I picked up some of those bad habits that are there, guess what? And I try to project those onto these newer kids, guess what? They're not going to buy it. That's right. (laughs) And so you have to now be able to coach in a different way and understand that. So selling that ability is one of the best things that you can sell as as an individual, how you have been able to work with younger people in this process. Talk about those things because that's what you're going to be doing. (laughs) What we we talked about a little bit, we hit upon job opportunities and you know, we, we mentioned some things and, and I want you to talk about some of those job opportunities being on the horizon. We, we didn't mention mental health, which is very huge now. Um, yeah. A lot of athletic departments are bringing on mental health experts. Um, talk about some of those opportunities that might be on the horizon, whether it's collegiate athletics or even the professional sports based on uh, what you've seen over the past two years. Well, I think we've all seen that we have to do more to develop. If we're going to use this business model, and I say that this business model of athletics, then what is the product? It's our students, our student athletes. They are the products. And if they are the products, then how are we developing a good product? Any corporation that's going to sell something to anybody has to develop a good product. <laughs> and if our product is having mental health issues, if our product is, is not being able to deal with the financial management that they have to deal with and the, the stress of all of the things that are going on, if they're having to deal with uh, relationships, if they're having to deal with, you have to be able to develop that product. And if you develop that, that's the way I look at it. How, what do you do to help that product be successful? And so there are a number of different opportunities, which a lot of professionals that are, are not in necessarily in the day-to-day coaching of students on the field, but the background that goes into their whole life that we use. Most people see a coach, they see 
uh, a referee. They see a sports announcer <laughs> on television. <laughs> they don't see all of the background that goes into developing that individual, the academic counselors, the academic, and those individuals, the sports information people that have to communicate what these students are doing, uh, the development directors that have to go out and raise funds uh, to keep the scholarships and all of that going and keep these multi-billion dollar industries. They, people think that it's all built on the ticket sales. No, it's more than just the ticket sales, uh, you know. And so all of those kinds of things, the business management of it, those, you know, having somebody to financially now take care of this multi-billion dollar industry is, is a different story. So I think, like as I said, there's a lot of different professions that we have that are out there that if a person has a degree in uh, management or a degree in finance or a degree in uh, marketing, athletics can use you. <laughs> and I think also one of the things I, I, I keep saying is that how do we keep bringing new people in and filling the pipeline rather than just shuffling people around? From job to job to job, recycling. I wanna, right. Yeah, I want to. I want to bring new people in, and because a lot of uh, now the baby boomers are beginning to retire, yes. they're beginning to say it's time for me to get out, and people are moving up, and so that pipeline has to be filled. Now, uh, we have more jobs than we have people <laughs> in this country, and athletics is the same way. And and I do say this also, uh, we have to be careful because corporations are coming into athletics and taking people out of athletics into corporations. And you uh, know what? They've been doing that for a while. If you, you know, even far back when I was coming out of college, they're looking for someone with an athletic background because mm -hmm. they feel those characteristics make you a good team player, you're coachable, you know, all those things. And even more so now, um, yes. they're still doing the same thing. So yeah, um, that's and, a very good and, point. And the thing that, that's a little bit different is don't come. And, and this is a, one of the things I'm going to say about this field. Don't come in this field. Think you're going to work from eight to five and go home. That's not it. Uh, that's not athletics. That's not that's corporate America in some cases until you get in the upper echelon of corporate America. And there's no eight to five either. But when you get in working your way through the process that that eight to five, you can go home. You got your weekends. You can go do what you. That's not if you come in into athletics, be prepared to spend some long hours and not be paid a lot <laughs> coming in. Uh, that's that's this this field. Uh, and then when you move up the ladder, as you move up the ladder, you will reap the benefits of all of those things uh, that go along with that. So that's a very good point. And I'm, I'm glad you kind of ended you know, with that as well. But my last question is something I like to ask my guests. It's called word association. I say a person, place, or thing. You say the first thing comes to your mind. If you care to elaborate on it, you can. So Kansas City, Missouri. My hometown. <laughs> Born and raised here. <laughs> Great town. Uh, you know, just big enough, but just small enough. <laughs> NCAA, you know, an organization that uh, is changing uh, where it's going to end up. We don't know yet, uh, but we have to change the model of athletics, the way we look at it. And and uh, how do we do things to keep it as amateur athletics? 
that's one of the things that I'm most concerned about. Do we get away from it being amateur athletics? D-E-N-I. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, <laughs> you know, one of the things I didn't say, you heard MOAA, the Minority Opportunities Athletic Association. But we're not just minority individuals in this association. This association is for everybody. Anybody that wants to promote a sports culture uh, that supports the values, like I said, of teaching and uh, respect for self and others. We have white individuals in our on our board, white individuals that serve on committees. So it's for everybody, Asian, Hispanic, Native American. This organization is wide open. So when, when you talk about diversity, uh, LGBTQ, we have all of that inside of it. People have to stop thinking at diversity as just a uh, race and gender. Now, we have to deal with race in this country. And that's another story that we'd have to take a whole another segment on. How do we deal with race in this country? But uh, DEI encompasses all of us. It's diversity, equity. You can have diversity and not have equity or inclusion. You can bring people in. That's diversity. But if you want to have equity and inclusion, you have to be able to do some things that creates an environment where everybody that you bring in can be successful. That's what DEI means for me. Yeah, I often tell people with DEI, of course, being with Rising Coaches, the executive director of DEI, I always often say it's not a task. It's a culture, which it's means culture. It's, it's, you have to make it a culture. You have to be continuous with it and continue to to talk about it. And finally, MOA. MOA, the premier organization, the oldest now uh, minority serving uh, organization in college athletics and moving into other ranks. Uh, as we begin to look at high school and, and the uh, professional ranks, how do we assist across the board? We help coaches too. It's not, we're just not <laughs> just minority administrators. Again, I said one of the things is that we uh, advocate for increased participation across the board. And that's what MOA's job is to do. So uh, look at it going further and further, uh, growing, continue to grow and, and to have a positive impact on uh, certain aspects, not only the 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 uh, career development as aspect, but the advocacy aspect for jobs and the uh, 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 being able to have a voice for some of the uh, legislative things that are going on that could uh, hinder or, or uh, impair our student athletes, our coaches and administrators from being able to be successful. That's what and, we look and, at today. And talk about how they can get information on more or John Moa. I am a Moa member probably. Um, to say, you know, as well. But tell those coaches or administrators that might be watching, listen, how can they become a member of MOA? All you have to do is go to MOAweb.com or go to NACTA.com and click on the MOA emblem. This is the MOAA emblem. You'll see it there. I got to point the right way when I get on these TVs, <laughs> MOA. <laughs> and <laughs> there's a uh, a spot that you can go to and and sign up to be a member of MOA. Uh, we have institutional memberships. We also have individual memberships. Now, individuals must be in the 
uh, administration or associated with the administration of athletics. We don't have corporations that join uh, and, and more, but it is for individuals and, and institutions or organizations or conference offices to join that are in the administration of athletics or associated with the administration of athletics. And anybody can join and participate. Uh, we have an annual seminar, annual, uh, we have webinars, we have scholarships, we have different things. We have professional development grants, different things that we do. We run uh, partnerships and collaborations like with Learfield, with the, the NCAA and with other organizations uh, to ensure that our members are being a part of with women leaders in college sport. We, we partner, we network to help our people be able to be networked and, and be successful in the process. So go to moreweb.com. Well, Stan Johnson, my friend, thank you for taking the time this afternoon to join me and thank the listeners of viewers for tuning in. Please join me next Friday with another exciting guest here on The Right Fit. Until then, please stay healthy, stay safe, and have a terrific weekend.